You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here is the question of the day. Exactly why does men's health call the Peloton bike, quote, the best cardio machine on the planet, end quote? I'll tell you why, because it is. Absolutely it is. I've had a number of cardio machines over the years, but nothing like the Peloton. It is my favorite cardio machine ever. And it is for so many reasons. You can work up a tremendous sweat at home for less than the cost of a studio class. Maybe you're having a hard time finding a workout that keeps you engaged. Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. From the second I jumped on mine, I've been addicted every single day. I always look forward to it. I love it. I love the workout I get, and I love the value involved. One subscription is all you need to get unlimited classes for the entire family. There is no commute. There are no reservations. Thousands of rides that you can take live or on demand anytime you want, and all for less than the cost of a studio class. Believe me, it pays for itself. It's the best investment I've ever made. Get in your zone with curated music designed to move and motivate you, and the best instructors of the world to push and motivate you as well. And right now, Peloton is offering a limited time offer. Get 100 bucks off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com. OnePeloton.com. Use the promo code Rome and get started. Once again, OnePeloton.com. Promo code Rome. I bring up Conor McGregor because to me it's an amazing story. When you think about where he started and where he ended up, you know, I'm not a big fan of the antics, the outside of the cage publicity stunts, if you will. That's in more in line with WWE than prize fighting, in my opinion. But what's cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, Ep 99 to be exact. And my guest is a UFC Hall of Famer a six-time UFC champion, a three-time All-American at Oklahoma State, and an NCAA champion. He has also made his mark outside the cage as an entrepreneur and an actor appearing in the Expendables franchise. He is now an analyst with the Professional Fighters League, the first MMA organization to use a regular season, playoff, and championship format. Now, we've had plenty of badasses on this pod over the past two years, but this guy goes right to the top of the list. Of course, I'm talking about MMA legend Randy Couture. My man does it all, and he's finally doing this podcast as well. It is Ep99. It's Randy Couture, and it starts right now. Randy, it's been a while. It's great to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much. You're working with the Professional Fighters League, which I'll get to in a minute, but bring me up to date. How's life? How you doing? Life is great. I have never been so busy. Uh, retired from fighting but going on nine years ago, and, and man, off and running. It's just been crazy, but all good. That's amazing. Nine years. You know, so I want to talk to you about the Professional Fighters League, but your journey to me is so amazing. And when you mention it's been nine years, that kind of blows my mind. But if you were to go back, you were an NCAA champ at Oklahoma State, of course. Then you pursue the Olympic dream and you were a coach. So for those who do not know, how and when did you trans- transition into MMA? I uh, graduated from Oklahoma State in 92 and got hired to coach at Oregon State University. So I traded in my pistols for some buck teeth. <laughs> and uh great and then was coaching there and in, in, until 97 i started fighting in 97 and uh 
and kind of left my coaching job to pursue the, the career in fighting full time at, in '98. Um, so that's kind of how it broke down. Um, yeah, I was literally just acting on a whim. I saw a, a tape of some guys fighting, some guys I knew, Mark Coleman and and uh, Don Fry, and those were guys I knew from college wrestling. So I was intrigued by the sport and was lucky enough to you know, fill out the application and get in back then. All right, so you were intrigued by what you saw, but exactly what did you see? For instance, when a teammate busts out that tape and shows you a tape of an early event, what did you think of the first time you saw it? Well, I was, I was, it was surreal. Uh, the crazy crowd, uh, you know, walking up into a cage. But, I, you know, analyzing, you know, the sport, I saw the direct application of years and years and years of wrestling. Um, and, and watching those guys compete and implement that, that into their fighting styles. And then, you know, hearing that they're here they are getting a chance to, to be a professional athlete in our society, which for most wrestlers... Uh, there was no real outlet unless you wanted to go to the WWE or something like that. So uh, I was intrigued in in not only the opportunity to be a professional athlete, but the application of 30-plus years of wrestling experience. All right, so what about the application, right? So you can apply that. So that's great. You had this great wrestling background. You're really good at it. But then you had to apply the other things. What was it like when you had to start implementing strikes and kicks? <laughs> Well, it was a slow process, and I had some great trainers along the way. Um, you know, I had a boxing coach, Scotty, and, and he was my first boxing coach getting ready for that first Belfort fight. I knew if I didn't get a boxing coach, I was going to get the hell kicked out of me, and uh, and he, he really kind of opened my eyes to, to the differences in striking. Um, really wasn't until I got kicked a bunch of times by Pedro Izzo that I had to really learn how to check a kick, how to change my stance and be able to pick my front leg up and, and check a kick and bounce it off that harder part of your leg instead of taking it in the soft tissue. Those were all part of the learning curve, to be honest. All right, those were both enormous fights for you, which I want to get to in a minute, but I want to get ahead of this in the sense that you sent the application in. So once you did that, like when did you get the call for the first fight? How much time did they give you for that fight? Well, we filled out the application, and I had a friend of mine that knew how to get it and do it. This was back in December of 96. And then I didn't get a call. They, they said, oh, we have enough wrestlers on our, our roster. We want more exotic martial artists. But we'll put him on our alternate list. So they put me on a list of alternates that they had. And then about six months later, in the spring of 97, I get the phone call. You know, hey, you're on our alternate list. We're having trouble filming this spot in the heavyweight tournament. Do you still want to fight? And I'm like, heck, yeah, I want to fight. So I, I uh, took that fight, and that, and that was literally on three weeks' notice. Um, but honestly, I had about five days to prepare. I was getting ready to go to the Pan Ams to uh, represent the U.S. at the Pan Am Championships. And uh, so I focused on that. And then on the way back from the Pan Ams in Puerto Rico, I stopped off in, in Georgia and had my first fight. I mean, so they, they call you up and you have three weeks, but in reality, because of the travel, as you point out, you only had five days. So, like, that first weigh-in, what do you remember about that? What was that day like? <laughs> well, it was interesting. Uh, we weighed in in the lobby at the Holiday Inn in Augusta, Georgia. Wow. Uh, that was the first time I had seen either of the guys I was, uh, you know, well, I didn't know it was a tournament. So there were four guys, and I was one of the four, but that was the first time I saw any of my opponents or potential opponents was when we stepped on the scale. Um, they were huge. And I was like, Oh man, what did I get myself into here? Uh, 
but uh, you know, it worked out. Uh, managed to suck it up and stay in there and and uh, not exercise that flight <laughs> that wanted to kick in. Um, stayed and fought instead, and, and it went well. Randy, that's amazing. Like you, for you to say, I'm looking around. Like, and it's so different then, right? It's not like now where you can break down your opponent. You've never even seen these guys until you show up there, and you're like, damn, they're huge. It's really interesting for me to hear you say, I didn't want to exercise that flight, and that these guys were huge. I mean, were you feeling that? Was there any part of you that wanted to bust out and run or flee? Oh, absolutely. I, I was. It was definitely. Uh... An eye opener. Number one, walking out of that tunnel and in the Civic Auditorium there in Augusta, with a frenzied group of fans trying to literally rip the shirt off of me as I walked to the cage was a surreal moment. And then, yeah, seeing that 300-pound guy standing in the cage waiting for me to get in there uh, was, uh, yeah, it was it was intimidating. It wasn't sure you know hearing that cage door close behind you. What uh, wasn't a, a surreal moment and. Uh, one of those things where you just got to make a decision and, and uh, overcome it. You know, stay in there and, and fight your emotions to, to freak out. It's <laughs> amazing. Like, so what do you do? I mean, do you, was it a conscious decision? Do you flip a switch? I mean, as an athlete, as a man, whatever you want to say, how did you calm yourself and focus yourself in that moment? Well, fortunately, I, I had a great trainer at that time, Rico Ciparelli, who was, who was a wizard at implementing wrestling into fighting and, and kind of been a lot of ways way ahead of his time. Uh, as an MMA trainer, from the, especially from the wrestling world. Uh, and he kept me very focused, you know, making that first contact. We anticipate what this guy's going to try to do and get that first contact and kind of get the momentum swinging our way. And in both of those fights, that's exactly what worked and, and put me right in the groove and, and kind of led me to being able to secure those victories. Randy, you just said in both those fights, you fought twice that night, right? That's right. I mean, that's how they did it back in the day. And we'll get to the Professional Fighters League in a moment where you've got a similar format, a tournament format. But I'm curious, like, how did you approach that? If you have two fights in one night, which seems mind-blowing to me, would you want to do it back-to-back if you could so you stay loose and you stay warm? Or would you want the time to kind of rest and recover and get ready for the second one? How did you approach it? That is, that is very interesting because that's exactly the situation. And, and, and honestly, it's out of your control. It kind of depends on how the other fights go when they turn you around and send you back out for your next competition. And sometimes it can be an hour and a half or two hours before you come back up again, or it could be 30 minutes. And, and, and there's, you know, two sets of thought there. You, I'd rather go right away. I'm still warm. I don't need to cool down. Any dings or owies that I have from the first fight are going to get tight or stiffen up as I cool down. You know, why not go right back out there and, and get after it again while you're still warm? And then some guys like the idea of, you know, I want to sit around and recover and then go through a whole warm-up process and get mentally right for that second fight, uh, you know, after I've had a little rest. And and that's I think that's what's intriguing. I was always the one that wanted to go again. Let's, you know, come on. I don't want to cool down. Let's go right back out there. I'm firing on all cylinders now. That was my approach. But that's what's been intriguing, watching these guys deal with that adversity in the PFL. You know, in our playoffs, they're fighting twice in one night, the quarterfinals and semifinals, and every guy's got his opinion on how he wants to do it. I'm definitely going to hit you on that in a minute, but you mentioned Vito Belfort. See, the thing is, you won those first two fights, and the next thing you know, they've got you in with Vito Belfort. And for those who remember, this guy was going right through everybody, right through everybody. At that point, did you think that you were ready for a fight like that so soon? You had just started. Well, that, that plays into that reason I needed to get a boxing coach 
You know, I'd had that first tournament literally on, on short notice, walked in there predominantly just as a wrestler and, and exhibited the wrestling skills that I'd spent most of my life developing. But I knew Jason Belfort, who'd had four fights at that point, I think with an aggregate time of, of just over three minutes in those four fights. I mean, he was just blasting through everybody, starting everything with a straight left hand and, and kind of straight blasting right through everybody that stood in front of him. I, I knew I had to figure that out and get a boxing coach to help me with some footwork and, and figure if I could close the distance and get my hands on him and make him wrestle me, I had a good shot at beating him. You know, you had an amazing career, and it's amazing to see what the sport's done, Randy. I was talking to Dana White about this not long ago. Lest we forget, in the early days, I mean, the sport was not necessarily seen as mixed martial arts. Many, including legislators who didn't understand the sport, saw it as human cockfighting. And worse, was the sport ever in danger of not making it or existing? And what was it like in the early days trying to educate the uneducated about what it actually was? It absolutely was on the cusp of, of going away. Uh, but, you know, Senator McCain had spoken out about it, called it human cockfighting, and, you know, obviously he had ties to anheuser Bush, and boxing was feeling a little heat and pressure from the pay-per-view numbers that, that no holds barred or MMA. They called it no holds barred back then because uh, there were really only a couple of things that were barred from being used. Uh, but, but they you know, they were definitely – they got a ban from cable – about the only place you could find it was on the internet, um, and so it was, it was a much more difficult. They were suffering. Uh, the pay-per-view numbers weren't what they were because of this political backlash. And you know, to the Fertitas and Dana White's credit, when they bought the company, it was in pretty bad disrepair. They put it back in order, kind of went on the road to remarketing it and running towards regulation, creating the unified rules that we all use now. Uh, and that was a huge boost to the sport, gave it a regularity, a commonality, and something that people, I think, could understand, creating rounds, the scoring system, all these things that we kind of recognized from boxing all came, kind of came out of that era. Speaking of boxing, so uh, there's always that narrative, that conversation, like what would happen? What would happen if an MMA or a top-flight MMA or got in with a top boxer and back and forth and back and forth, and then we finally found out in 2010 – when you had a fight with my guy, James Tony, I had a little history with James Tony back in the day myself. This was kind of a different cat, but I mean, there was a lot of talk about what would happen if the two sports clashed. What, when you went into that, like, what was your mindset going into that? How much was riding on that particular fight and that night? Well, I think there was a lot riding on it. And I think that was one of the reasons why I, I got the nod to be that guy and, and fight that fight against a top flight boxer like James. And obviously James brought all of his rhetoric uh, right. table for that fight uh and, and that was fun and, and entertaining to watch as well but the real question was how much mma was he going to be able to learn in the four months he had to prepare for that fight you know and, and i didn't have anything to prove i wasn't out to show that oh us mma guys can stand and bang with the boxers that was an mma fight that's how i looked at it so i was going to find a way to use my strengths which is my wrestling and put him on the deck as soon as i could and see how much MMA he learned. Could he, did he know what the card was? Was he able to use his legs effectively and protect himself on the ground effectively? And I think we answered those questions all in pretty short order. Man, you're so right. You're so right. I mean, like, what did you... You had nothing to prove. Why would you stand in front of him and try and trade with him like that? Did he have any idea what he signed up for? I don't think he did. And I'm not sure he cared, frankly. I, you know, I know he had some financial woes at that time, and which is unfortunate to have a guy that's been that decorated as a boxer and is struggling financially. 
uh, it, it, I mean, that's a horrible situation. But, uh, you know, he was pretty honest and genuine after the fight. And, and I think that, you know, I, I had met him like you before, before I actually signed to fight him. I'd seen him at some events. And he was always a friendly guy. Um, so, yeah, I think he definitely had his eyes open that night. No, I think you're right, Randy. I think he my, – my personal experience with him was he – He's interesting. I got. I don't need to reset the whole thing, but I once interviewed him when I started in TV, and he was the champ, and he was kind of full of himself. And as you point out, he had that rhetoric, and he'd run his mouth. And one night, when I, my girlfriend was on the set, and he's like, "You're leaving with me. You're leaving with me." And I kind of pushed back, like, "Dude, hey, yo, champ, you've lost three of your last five fights, and that's just kind of jacked up, anyway, man. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that?" And he didn't back down. But years later, he actually said, "You know what? I really regret that. I shouldn't have done that." Like he was a really engaging guy. A really engaging guy. His mouth just kind of got the better of him sometimes. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. All right, so if you're anything like me, you're probably looking to get better and faster and have a cleaner source of natural energy and nutrition. I'm guessing you're looking for that. Well, the good news is I've done the research for you and I found it. It comes in the form of athletic greens. Athletic Greens Ultimate Daily is the obsessively researched all-in-one nutritional support powder containing 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients. It's so easy. You just take one scoop and you mix it into 10 ounces of water and get a jump start on feeling your best every single day. I do this for breakfast all the time. And if you're on the road or you're away from home, the travel packs make it really easy to keep up that same healthy routine because there's no need to carry around multiple pill bottles. Simply put, Athletic Greens can help you feel amazing every single day, no matter where you are and no matter what life throws at you. No compromises, no harmful chemicals, no artificial colors, no sweeteners, no added sugar, no GMOs. Athletic Greens Ultimate Dailies are also gluten and dairy-free. They're vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly. If you struggle to get in nutrient-dense fruit and veggies, or you don't feel as good as you used to, then Athletic Greens is here to help. And right now, you can jump on over to athleticgreens.com slash Rome and claim my special offer. 20 free travel packs valued at $79 with your first purchase. Once again, athleticgreens.com slash Rome. Go there right now. Athletic Greens. Start your day right. Good things follow. You had this great rivalry with Chuck Liddell, of course. In the second fight, that was the only time, Randy, you ever got knocked out. He caught you with a good shot. I mean, that'll happen to everybody. My thing about MMA is I don't care who you are, you're going to get beat. Everybody's going to get beat because there's so many different disciplines and so many things that could happen. That was the one time you really got caught. Can you help me with this? Because most of us will never, ever know what something like that feels like. When you take a shot like that, and you've certainly delivered that shot to many, what happens to your brain and body? Like, what's the physical chemistry and reaction that happens when you get hit like that? Well, it's, it's confusing, honestly. It's a surreal moment. You're, you're there in the moment of the fight, one second, and the next second, the scenery is completely changed. And you have a bunch of faces standing over you, making sure you're okay, and telling you not to, not to move and not to get up. And, you know, you realize something happened, but you've lost this little piece of time. And it can be confusing. And sometimes the worst thing you can do in those situations is stick a microphone in that guy's face when he does finally get back up. Because uh, a lot of times guys that have been hit in the head will talk in a loop or they'll say things that don't make any sense because they're just not quite right yet. I was fortunate that it was still cohesive enough to, to speak in full sentences and, and not be stuck in a loop. But I've definitely lost a little piece of time, which was a little weird. 
That is weird. That's interesting. So then you talk about guys and what happens to them. Like I, I bring up Conor McGregor because to me it's an amazing story. When you think about where he started and where he ended up and how quickly he got there, it's absolutely amazing. He's a tremendous showman. He's a great fighter, I think, in my opinion. But it, clearly it's gotten away from him, at least at this time, it seems. So from your perspective, to get the sense – and I know you're on the outside looking in, but do you get the sense that he's going to be able to do the necessary soul-searching and fly right, or do you have a feeling this might end badly for him? Well, man, I, I hope that, you know, he does figure this out and kind of get back in touch with, you know, which what, what kind of brought him this far and and kind of cut loose a bunch of this baggage and things that he's dragging around that he's involved in. And, you know, I, I hate to see him turn into a tragic story. I think he has the potential to be an amazing story when you consider where he's come from and all the things he's overcome to, to be where he's at. Uh, and there's a lot of people looking at him, which, you know, when you're a young kid, they don't teach you how to deal with that and, and how to take millions and millions of dollars and, and effectively deal with that either. So he's got a lot of things pulling at him. Uh, I think I think you're right. I think he's a great fighter. I think he's got some holes in his game, and I think Khabib, you know, pointed out one of the issues I saw. Chad Mendez was the first one to expose it, and you know, Khabib was really the, the, the guy to take advantage of that potential hole and his ability on the ground. But he's been a, a dynamic fighter, and you know, I'm not a big fan of the, you know, the antics, the the outside of the cage, <clears throat> you know, publicity stunts, if you will. Uh, I think that's not really what that's in more in line with WWE than prize fighting, in my opinion. But he's certainly taken that to a new level and and become a very very popular figure. And I hate to see that end badly. Hmm. You know, let me ask you about your uh, fellow Oklahoma State Cowboy, one of my favorite guys, and everybody loves Daniel Cormier, and for good reason. He's such a class act and such a great combatant. He said at forty. I mean, at 40, his rubber match with Stipe might be his last fight. Now, Randy, you won the heavyweight championship for a third time at 43. You fought effectively into your 40s. In fact, you fought until you were 47. As you look at D.C. right now, how much do you think he has left in the tank at 40? How much longer could he go? Well, I, it's such a personal thing. Right. You know, and I've had this conversation with Chuck Liddell, and I've had this conversation with Tito Ortiz, who's you know still fighting. Uh, you know, Danny Henderson and I talked talked a little bit about those decisions and how our bodies were holding up and what we wanted to focus on and how we felt. It's such a personal thing that, you know, I haven't had that conversation with Daniel. I have heard the, the public statements he's made. And as soon as I think that retirement bug gets in the back of your head, it's probably time to, to, to hang it up. This is a sport that's a very tough way to make a living. And, and if you're not in it 100%, then it's probably not a great idea to continue to work out there. So if that's, that little chatter is going on in the back of his brain already, then, you know, I, I think he's wise to, to figure out when that exit should be and go out on his own terms, which I think is another thing in today's society with professional athletes as well. I think you nailed it. In fact, he's, he has said that for the record. You know, once that gets in the back of your head, that's not a good place to be. And like every great athlete I've ever spoken to, and some not-so-great ones. Everybody wants to go out on their own terms, of course, and you, so few get to do that. You know, when you mentioned that you've had the conversation with Liddell and Tito Ortiz, I mean, and what a great trilogy that was, the three of you guys, and it's got so much to do with where that sport is right now. When you talk to those guys, like, what are those conversations about in terms of them fighting and continuing on? Well, it was more about mindset. How did I feel? What did I think? What, you know, what, what allowed me to go to, to 47 when, you know, a lot of guys don't really make it into their 40s? Uh, Thankfully, physically, I held up very well. 
And, you know, psychologically, mentally, I, I still wanted to, I had the burning desire to continue to grind out a camp and, and go back out there and, and compete again. And I think the, the realistic conversation I had to have was, you know, I got into this to be the best, to be the number one guy in my weight class. And, and I had to have a real conversation with myself. Was that where I was at? Was that where I was going to be and where I was headed? Was I going to be in the next title fight, fighting for that championship belt in that number one spot again? And the honest answer to that question was no. So, so why? Am I just grinding out of camp to get another check? What, what's the deal? And, you know, I, I wasn't just a jobber. I, I, you know, again, wanted to be the best at it. So I think those are very personal questions. And it takes somebody whose identity, you know, my identity had been wrapped up in fighting for 14 years. Uh, it, it takes a lot to come to terms with that and just walk away from that and hang it up. I'm happy how it went down. Yeah, I would have liked to have won that last fight, but that you know that's never a guarantee. So, you know, Leota Machida is a, a hell of a competitor, and that's the way it goes. But I, you know, I was a real fight with a real guy, and you know, like Daniel, you know that that little voice in the back of my head started uh, chattering when I was going through camp, getting ready for James Tony. You know, I had every injury I'd ever sustained flare up during that camp for some reason. Huh. And, you know, I, and I, I couldn't explain it. I was like, I didn't do anything to my ankle. And I had to remember, oh, yeah, back in, you know, 88, getting ready for the trials, I had Achilles tendonitis so bad they wanted to put me in a cast. And that, that Achilles flared up for no particular reason. My shoulder, I broke my shoulder as a kid. You know, every little nuance or, or injury that I'd sustained flared up during that camp. And that was the first time. I felt like my body was talking to me and saying something. And uh, like I said, once that voice starts chattering and, and talking about maybe you should hang it up, it's probably time to hang it up. And then you listen to your body like any great athlete would. One last thing before I ask you about the PFL, because I want to ask you about Brock Lesnar, UFC 91. Randy, so you fight him. You put your belt on the line against Lesnar. I got to ask, how much weight did you give up that night? And what was it like to fight, to square off with a guy that big with that kind of reach advantage? I mean, the guy's a monster. He is a huge guy, and not just that he's big. I mean, I've fought big guys before, but he's an amazingly athletic right. big guy. He moves really, really well. You're talking about a Division One heavyweight national champion from Minnesota. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, close to making the NFL for the Vikings and just a very, very well-rounded, good athlete at 290 pounds. I I was walking into that fight at 220. He, you know, he, he outweighed me by 60, 60 plus pounds easily. Um, and we prepared for that. I mean, I knew it was going to come down to wrestling and at least that's how I saw it. If I could get my hands on and make him wrestle me, make him pummel with me, use the barrier and the fence to my advantage. I, I felt like that might get in his head and cause him to doubt himself a little bit, which he, he was still pretty green honestly, in the sport, as big and as strong as he was, he didn't have a lot of fight experience or fight IQ at that time. Um, so I felt like that was something I could potentially exploit, but I had to be careful. He's a huge guy. And, and uh, what was deceiving is how long he is. He looks so big and thick because he's so muscular. You don't realize he's got 91, 92-inch reach. Wow. He's got really long arms to go with that that frame. And Ultimately, that's what caught me. He caught me with a nice shot right behind the ear. I rolled and tried to slip it, but it just you know, flashed, knocked me down. And once I hit the ground, there was no getting out from underneath that guy. He was huge. Hey, what do we want when we need protein or more energy? Not bars. I'll tell you that. 
not a sugary snack, not an energy drink. You don't want that crash. No, what we want is beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your dad's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender. It's tasty. It's not tough. So what makes it so good? I can tell you that too. Old Trapper's commitment. It's a 50-year-old family business known for a relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four great flavors. Quality smoked meat at its finest, which goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper. What's your beef? got all these options and some choices to make and you've got a string of gyms and you've got some uh, a clothing line you've got lots of different things that you're involved in and then you've got the professional fighters league which you're involved with intimately so when you consider all the competition now in all the multiple leagues everybody is looking for like that breakout and transcendent star how and where do you find an athlete or an athlete like that you know there there, there are a ton of fighters that come from a ton of different backgrounds Obviously, I think the combative sport for this generation has become mixed martial arts, and that's why so many of these promotions are flourishing, not just in the U.S., but globally. You know, look at 1FC, look at Ryzen, look at, I mean, there's, there's promotions all over the place that are doing very, very well with a ton of great athletes. Um, so, you know, obviously the, there's hotspots. Dagestan comes to mind. You look at Khabib and the number of Dagestanis that are coming out on, into the MMA market right now, and we have a number of them in, in the PFL, and they're doing very, very well. They have a huge history in combative sports, and, and you're talking about, you know, I, I don't want to insult them or their culture or anything about them, but it's a, it's a rough place to grow up. And here's your opportunity to get on an international stage to make an amazing living as a professional fighter. Why wouldn't these guys that have been involved in all these combative sports since the age of three you know, kind of migrate towards mixed martial arts and taking a shot at MMA. I, I think it makes perfect sense and why we're seeing so many amazing fighters come out of that area. And, and you know, the, the same with the, the Asian markets, and there's just a ton of great fighters everywhere now. All right, so how did you get involved specifically with the PFL, and how is it different from the other competitive leagues? The PFL, um, well, obviously, Ray Sefo is, is the vice president for fighter relations and deals with a lot of the fighters and putting these cards together and kind of lining up our new roster for each new season. And uh, Ray trains out of my gym. Him and I have been friends for over 10 years, 10 or 12 years. Uh, they originally approached me about being part of the World Series of Fighting, and there were some red flags and things going on at that time, and, and everything's about timing uh, that – you know, I was I was working for the UFC and involved, uh, you know, commentating for Fox at that time. It just didn't make sense to <clears throat> to leave that position and go with a fledgling company that was un- untested yet. And uh, they came back to me, you know, years later when they're in the rebranding process, uh, changing from the World Series of Fighting to the Professional Fighters League. This new format, which I found intriguing and, and interesting, I thought it was going to be very challenging, and I was honest with them about that. I was like. 
hold on, you're asking these guys to turn around every six or seven weeks, and then you're going to fight twice in one night when they make it to the playoffs? Wow, that's that's a lot. Uh, but I'm interested, and uh, you know, I can certainly feel like we give uh, a fighter's perspective. You know, in the color, you know, color commentary position, uh, I think we see things differently. See things that that the average fan or someone who hasn't been in, immersed in MMA we see things that they don't recognize or don't recognize it the same way. So I think that's been fun for me as a commentator to highlight some of those things. And then being in the booth with a guy like Eve Edwards and Sean O'Connell, who were both great fighters in their own right, uh, really has kind of made it flow and, and it's been a fun experience. Right, so Randy, the format is totally different. And you touched on this. When and where are the playoffs? What does that look like? The playoffs this season for, for 2019 are here at Mandalay Bay which obviously is a, is a great destination for the PFL. I think mean, any, any fight promotion that's worth its salt and kind of wants to be on the big stage needs to eventually fight in, in Las Vegas. And so the, the three playoff fights here in October at the Mandalay Bay on the uh, 11th, the 17th, and the 31st. And I think that's, that format is, is what distinguishes the PFL from any of the other people out there promoting mixed martial arts right now. It's a true sports format. There's a regular season, six weight classes, 12, 12 fighters in each weight class. They'll fight twice in the regular season. Uh, there's criteria assigned to how they finish those fights that gives them points. And then the top eight point getters get to progress to the playoffs. And then they'll fight twice in one night. The quarterfinals is a two-round fight. And then the semifinals will be that same night against the other guy on the other side of the bracket of the dances. And that'll be a three-round fight. So they're basically fighting... Five rounds in one evening, which is the same as a championship fight. The winners will advance to the final, which is going to be in Madison Square Garden on New Year's Eve, and there'll be six new millionaires walk out of that uh, out of that arena that evening with the new championship belts. Seven figures. I like it. I like the format. Listen, one last stop before you go, and good luck with that. Yeah, I mentioned you get you have choices and you have options. There have been rumblings about a possible fourth installment of the Expendables. Sylvester Stallone, Randy's been teasing people about this for months. Is it just <laughs> speculation and rumors, or is Expendables 4 going to happen? He's been teasing me about it, too, dang it. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I actually got the, uh, the new script about a month ago and got to read through it. it. It's an amazing adventure, like all of these have been. Uh, uh, my understanding was they were going to try and shoot it this fall, but, uh, but have Scheduling conflicts have pushed it to next spring, and we're supposed to start filming sometime next spring. It just really quickly, share a thought or two about working with Sylvester Stallone. My man's 71 now. What kind of physical shape is he in, and what's it like to work with him and watch his process? He's amazing. Uh, very, very smart. Uh, and anybody who's, who's followed his story and, you know, through the whole Rocky, you know, and getting Rocky made and all the things that he did, you know, Rambo, and obviously we just saw, you know, Rambo Last Blood come out and do very, very well. It was a great film to watch. Uh, he just, he's very, he's brilliant. Uh, everybody thinks with that accent and, and you know, that, that maybe he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's a very smart guy. What I love about working with him is he comes up with these one-liners on the fly. Oh, this, this scene needs something, and he'll come up with a one-liner that fits perfectly and has everybody cracking up. Uh, he's just very, very smart. And then finally, what about Jason Statham? Like, I, I love watching this guy. He, how athletic is he? And like, how would you rate his martial arts ability? He's amazingly athletic. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, but he was he was an Olympic caliber diver 
before he ever got into motion pictures. So he has that acrobatic background, which I think comes out in his martial arts style. Um, He's a super nice guy. I enjoy spending time with him, spent some time with him outside of of shooting the Expendables uh, in a couple of occasions. He's fun to be around, a gregarious personality, and just a super nice guy. Randy, acting is it harder than it looks? Is it easier than you expected? What was it like when you first started to act? It's a process that I was, you know, I've literally spent my entire life as an athlete kind of boxing my emotions up and pushing them to the side and staying focused on, on the task at hand and going out and doing what I trained to do. And this whole process of acting, uh, you know, they, they want you to find ways to tell the truth, to, to emote real things. And it's so kind of weird. Uh, from an athletics mindset uh, to go out and do that. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of things from athletics that translates very, very well with diligent, prepared, easy to coach. Uh, you know, I'm going to be the first one on set ready ready and dressed to go. I want to know my lines and, and have them down and then be coachable, be willing to, to make adjustments and, and try and give them what they're looking for for that character and i think that's that's really the process i was gonna say and have a process and have your process and stick to the process right yep gotta respect the process it's it's an amazing thing the professional fighters league's got the playoffs coming up randy it's been a while it is so good to get caught up with you i appreciate the long-form conversation glad we could come together thank you so much for that thank you jim i appreciate it thanks for having me on Today's episode of the Jim Rome Podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network. It's live 24-7. It costs you nothing. That's right, nothing. Sports coverage that is always on and always free. It costs you nothing. It looks great. It sounds great. The intel is amazing. And the price is even better. Nothing. CBS Sports HQ's coverage is always focused on the game. Tons of highlights, breaking news as it happens, fantasy advice, and something we care about deeply here, gambling picks and analysis to get that extra edge. Look, I know when I turn on CBS Sports HQ, I'm going to get tips and trends that I need to win my bets. I want that. We all want that. And don't forget, you get this access to this amazing coverage free. I don't mean free for a week or a month, or if you've got some special cable package, it is totally and completely free for everybody. You don't even need a login. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or other connected device at any time and watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates. Just sports for real sports fans at the great price of nothing. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything at all. Just download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Big, big thanks to Randy Couture for that conversation. He was right. It had been a while, but it was great to run him down and to do so in long form. Now, by now, you should know this podcast is pretty diverse. It's rangy from the pirate Mike Leach to an all-time UFC champ. You never know what you're going to get. You just know it's going to be great, which is why you should all be subscribed. You'll never have to look for it ever again. You subscribe once, and it will find you every single week. Subscribe, review, share. Now for the big reveal. Next week's Milestone Century Pod is going to feature the one, certainly the only, David 
freaking Goggins. Now, if you know Goggins, you know he's going to slay. If you don't know Goggins, buckle the hell up. That's all I'm going to say. See you right back here next Wednesday for Ep 100 with David Goggins. There's a reason why we selected him for the big episode. Make sure you check it out. Until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hey, Jim. This is Dan from Richmond, Virginia. Lifelong Browns fan, I was absolutely embarrassed with the product that they put out on that field. I haven't seen Nick Bosa have a game like that since the offensive line of Rutgers. The last time we did this little experiment, you know, with having a star quarterback who will be a champion one day with absolutely no offensive line protection, hey, Indianapolis, how did that work out for you? What John Dorsey needs to do is pick up the phone, get the Redskins on the line, and figure out a way to get Trent Williams in the brown and orange. Thanks for taking it. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy, I won my pool last week. Shazam, man. That was killer. Message deleted. Next message. JR, what's up, man? This is David from Buffalo. Man, it is great to be a Bills fan right now. I can tell you, man, 4-1. and one, The Bills defense is kicking ass. And all we're going to ask out of Josh Allen is don't fuck it up, man. If you said Josh Allen could be Trent Dilfer this whole year or Brad Johnson and the Bills defense plays like this throughout the regular season, we get in the playoffs, I'm telling you, man, we have a shot. This defense is fucking legit, man. They light up suckers, they knock out chumps, and they blow up fools week in and week out. And, oh, by the way, the Sabres are 2-0. and How cool is that, Romy? Message saved. Next message. Yo, Jimothy. Justin Greenwood here in the 317. I'm a big fan of the Good Brothers myself. I know you're friends with Carl. That Friday Night Smackdown, man. That was huge at the Staples Center Live on Fox. Big move for WWE and Vince McMahon. But that's huge how, what they're doing with the crossovers. Former UFC. Message deleted. Next message. All stars, all featured, including the biggest action star in the history of movies right now. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, of course. WWE doing big things. Props to Vince McMahon and his crew. Right. Message deleted. Next message. Romaine, Justin, and Melbourne. Just heard your boy Mike Leach on the podcast. Right? Man, hook that brother up with a lozenger, will ya? My goodness. But hey. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Eric and Orlando, buddy. Still trying to clear my name. Just for the record, I don't fish on boats. I fish on yachts. Specifically Viking, Winter, Post, and Egg Harbor, Flying Bridge, or Express, Express Bridge Yachts. Message deleted. You have no more messages.